Today is a beautiful day of celebration, a day to honor the women who've shaped us, nurtured us, and walked us through life. It's a day to say thanks to all the moms. Moms with toddlers tearing through the house, and moms whose babies have moved away. Moms who are doing this all by themselves, and moms who loved a child in need. Moms who have suffered unimaginable loss, and moms whose children are moms themselves. For all the times your love made things better, and the moments your wisdom made things clear, for the way you lived as an example, so we could see Jesus through you. For each and every memory that has lit the path we walk, we say thank you. Whether this is a day of celebration, reflection, or heartache, know that you are loved. Happy Mother's Day. Can we just one more time thank moms? Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. We love you. So glad you're here today on Mother's Day. All right. I just want to say before we get to the word today, I love to hear you worship. I'm not stalking you. I just, I love to hear our church just worshiping God. I just, I just, yeah, it's just, there's nothing like it. God is so worthy to be praised, isn't he? I want to take a quick moment for those who maybe are new to MVCC to introduce to you um, our guest speaker today. Uh, he's our associate pastor, Pastor Scott. But I just want to give you a little background of uh, why he's speaking here on Mother's Day. He had uh, a godly mother who raised him and, of course, godly father. Her name is Linda. She'll be here in the second hour. Um, and then married a godly woman named Rochelle. And they have two children. And so um, Scott is a guy who came to us. Um, I don't like to use the term on staff. He's on team with us and really family. He and Rochelle, their family is family to us. And he just has a passion for discipleship, for helping those of us in the church to keep growing in our faith. And I just want to say we are so, so privileged to have him with us. He's um, done an amazing job of launching out our life groups. We have over 24 life groups now at MVCC. We also have this new thing that I'm so excited about called D12. And it's basically a one-on-one -on -one, um, discipleship plan that's uh, offered to anyone here. And it's a one-year um, thing that you just get to get into somebody's life and help them follow Jesus. It's the most amazing thing. Or you get someone to help you follow Jesus. It's, it's awesome. So um, I don't want to waste any time because I want to give uh, Pastor Scott uh, the word today. But just thank you so much, Scott, for your example, your love, your passion. And I love that you love the church. And we're just so excited to hear what God has through you today, brother. Thank you, Pastor Mike. That's very kind. <laughs> this, is, um, this is kind of an intimidating pulpit to speak from because every week, Pastor Mike just brings us a feast from God's Word. Like there is depth and power and uh, the transforming Word of God is presented every week in a powerful way and you just don't want to kind of let the team down, you know? And... <laughs> And then there's the fact that the way Pastor Mike brings it with so much energy and so much passion and so much dynamism, there are weeks when I'm sitting there when halfway through the message, my, my Apple Watch uh, congratulates me on finishing an activity ring just based on his energy. 
And so I don't know how to live up to that. But moms, we just love you so much. We really do. And the thing about being a mom is you, it, like it never leaves you. You're never done. Like you spend your life giving and serving and sacrificing and being there for the kids. You rise and you fall and you fall based on their every success and their every trial. And it's just always in there. And is it okay if I tell a story on my mom on Mother's Day? She's not here. She's not like I can tell a different story next hour. That'll be fine. But like this is part of what it is to be a mom, I think. Um, both of my parents, they graduated from USC. They are absolutely diehard football fans, right? Thank you very much. Yeah. And so we have a long tradition in our family of, of just going crazy about USC football. And there was a game years ago when it came, like, it was against our rivals, the, uh, that other school in LA, who sh- which, which shall not be named. And it comes down to right at the end of the game. And SC's up by two points, but they've got a field goal to win the game. And, and, and we're just on pins and needles and cheering and screaming at the TV. And the, they snap the ball. The, place, the kick is up. It's wide left. He missed it. We win the game. And the entire Kilpatrick family is just running around the living room, high-fiving each other and screaming and cheering and throwing our, our pretzels all over the place. It is bedlam in the, in the living room. And I look over at my mom, and something's just terribly wrong. I said, Mom, what's wrong? She says, I, I just feel so bad for that kicker's mom. <laughs> I said, they're the Bruins. They have no moms. <laughs> but that sense... That, that you see all of life through that grid of being a mom and how that feels and the difference that it makes, it's, it's, uh, it's a powerful thing. I want to talk uh, this morning just a little bit about um, how when we look and we think about moms and what they do and how they do it, how it's really a reflection really of, of what we're called to be and to do as the church as well. And we're going to, so we'll, we'll talk about like understanding the task that's in front of us. We'll talk about kind of some of the traps that go along with those tasks. And then we really want to dive in and say, what is, what is God's truth and what does it speak into that? So as far as understanding the task, what is it to be a mom? What is the task at hand? The task of a mom is this, to provide an environment where growth towards purpose and destiny are possible. Moms are environment creators. They, they just inherently understand that here's a child in front of me that God has a purpose and a plan and a destiny for, and that what moms do is they create the environment where progress towards that can take place, right? And it, I mean, it starts out immediately biologically. In their bodies, our moms created an environment, right? Like from the moment that a fertilized egg implanted on the uterine wall, there was a destiny and a purpose that God has for that life. But, but there needs to be an environment in which step by step, Week by week, progress is made until that child is born, and, and right, and it, and the sacrifice that goes along biologically with that is kind of amazing, and it takes everything. It takes focus. It takes attention. It takes pain and self-sacrifice. Complete physical and emotional transportation transformation are taking place. I remember the first time that our firstborn kicked inside the womb. 
so exciting. Rochelle was startled a little bit. And I came over, I got to place my hand on her stomach and, and feel the kicking taking place. And at that point, it was just adorable. It's like, oh, this is so exciting. There's so much promise. There's so much, all the future is ahead of us, right? About, I don't know how many months later it was, the kicking got <laughs> increasingly more aggressive. And one night I was asleep in bed with Rochelle kind of lying up against me and he kicked so hard it woke me up. And you wouldn't know this about me, but I am really good at sleeping through stuff. Like, once I'm asleep, I am asleep. If, there was, if, if sleeping through stuff was a collegiate sport, I would be a D1 scholarship athlete because I'm good at it. And this kid kicked me hard enough through Rochelle's belly into the side, my side that I woke up then. And that's just kind of a picture of what it is to be a mom, I think, getting kicked and suffering through all that. And those 40 weeks where a life is being developed and nurtured and an environment is being created uh, represent the sacrifice and the giving and the kind of repurposing and reorganizing and redirecting of a mom's life, a mom's life towards that purpose so that this life within her can become what God intends it to be. It feels like, oh, wow, you mark off the days on the calendar and you, have a, you figure out when, when the delivery is going to come and that happens and then you realize... That's just a model and a metaphor for the entirety of being a mom, of setting aside so much personal time, so much personal energy, so much personal comfort towards the end of getting a child from where they are to where God has designed them to be. And it doesn't just happen biologically. That happens socially as well. Think about the family. Think about the way that our moms cultivate an environment where it's just natural to become who you're supposed to be because of the love and the care and the grace. The, uh, the way moms make accommodations for unique skills and the unique talents, the unique abilities. I'm going to go ahead and say it. The unique weaknesses and flaws that are a part of each of their kids as well. Their skills, their traits, and moms allow us to thrive. And then it's not just biologically, and it's certainly not just socially within the family, but it's spiritually as well. Moms create this environment for us to embrace our destiny. I love this passage when Paul's writing to Timothy, and he talks to him about some of the heritage that went before him. He's talking to his, his protege, Timothy, and he's identifying how it is that Timothy got to be the man of God that he was. And this is, this is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses, verse 5. He says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. That transference from a mom to her kid and that kid to the next generation, that things, those things that our moms do that say our faith doesn't end with us, our faith is passed on to our kids and we equip them to know God and to love God and to pursue God. And this takes many, many shapes, and it takes many 
many forms. In my family growing up, um, my, my, uh, my parents had recently kind of really uh, re-energized their faith around the Jesus People movement back in the day. And uh, my mom was going to this Bible study. And she knew that I was a kid, like, I really liked to read and I liked words and I liked studying and learning. I was just a weird kid that way. That's how you turn into a weird adult that way, as you start that way as a kid. And, and my mom would take these Bible studies that she was learning at this lady's Bible study, and she would come home, she would rewrite them for her eight-year-old and hand them to me. And I was so excited, because this was something my mom wanted me to do, that I would take them and I'd sit at my desk and I'd flip through my Bible and I'd read and I'd write out the answers to the little eight-year-old questions, and I would slip it under my mom's door and she would correct my answers and make sure that I got 100%. And there's something about, my, like, that's not a normal eight-year-old, okay? I get that. I get that. But, um, but my mom saw something that was uniquely me and said, I'm going to take advantage of that thing that's uniquely him and kind of cultivate a love for God's word, cultivate a spiritual life, cultivate a following of God that way. Now, your mom and your story, or you as a mom in your story, it's going to look different because you're going to have, have different kids with different traits and different things, but you will cultivate those places. You will find the ways to invest in the lives of your kids, and you do so that they learn to follow Jesus and love it along the way. Uh, my wife, Rochelle, who is here today, and honey, don't worry, I will not be telling a different story about you next hour, okay? You're off, you're off the hook on that one. Um, the way she did that as a mom in our family, um, she had this amazing ability to connect with our kids in the environment of the Honda Odyssey van. <laughs> you know, the, the family van, right? See, I was the guy, I, um, I drove in with the kids to school. There was a, a, church, a school on church at the campus where I was, and I would drive in with the kids. And, and like, how did I really maximize the time? How did I leverage the time that I had with my kids on the way to school every day of the year? I just had this ambition that they would know every good song from the 80s. And so we played them over and over and over and over again. And we had a ball. <laughs> but my wife spent that time talking to them about the choices they were making, talking to them about their friendships, talking with them about how they treat one another, talking to them about how to be loving and kind and gentle and strong and all of those kinds of things. She made a point to use the time that she had because that was a place she had to wield that influence very intentionally, setting the spiritual tone to help get our kids from where they were to where God designed them to be. I just want to step back a bit because we're not just going to spend the entire morning talking about moms, right? But there's a sense in which that's the way the church exists too, right? We, the church, exist to create this environment that takes people wherever they are, whether they're pretty well-developed and mature in their faith or whether they don't even have faith yet, but they're interested in finding out about wherever, wherever one ever Wherever anybody is, is great, but the environment we want to cultivate is one in which wherever you go, we're helping to get you from where you are to where we're supposed to be that way, right? We do that to get people from where they are to where God wants them to be. We create that environment. And so there are things like a starting point lunch next week that says, come, take a next step. That's next Sunday. You can register for that. We welcome you. 
Beyond that, we have a thing called Next Steps. That's a seven-week small group that helps kind of give you a small group experience and identify what that would be like. It's a perfect next step into, into connection in the community and connection to the discipleship that takes place in the course of a church. We've got a new session of that starting off in two weeks. You can register for that as well. Pastor Mike mentioned D12. We've got life groups. We want to just, in everything that we do, Bible studies, men's, women's, all over, in all of the things that we do, we want to cultivate an environment that just very naturally, very easily helps us get from where we are to where it is that God designed, is designed us to be. That's what we want to do. But as with any job, as with any uh, calling, right, as with any task that we're called to accomplish, there are also some traps. And there are some unique traps that kind of are the snares that rob us of our joy that God intends us to receive as we're doing the tasks that we do, right? And I would say all of us are vulnerable to the traps that are in front of us, but I think moms, I think you understand what I, what I, say, what I mean when I say moms can be particularly vulnerable. And the first one we're going to talk about is this, the trap of fatigue, Moms, as you're doing what you do, as you're loving your kids, you're cultivating that environment so that they can grow and succeed and prosper. Man, it's wearing and it's exhausting. I'm reminded, do you remember in the, in the gospel, there's the story of the woman who had, uh, she'd, had the, she'd been bleeding for years and years and years. She'd, she'd gone to the doctors. She'd been prayed for. She'd tried every possible cure and remedy known to humanity, and she was just sick and weak and tired all the time through no fault of her own, no hope out in front of her, just burdened by the weight of this exhaustion that she has to carry to the point of desperation where she's just reaching out and hoping that if she can just touch Jesus, she'll be made whole again. I, I just, moms, you work so hard and do so much, and it takes a toll. And often you're paired with men like me who realized early on with our first child, Cody, that if he woke in the middle of the night and was crying, and if that crying woke me up, if I could realize it quickly enough and just keep my breathing even, <laughs> maybe Rochelle wouldn't know that I was awake. <laughs> and so it's true. Some, mom, some of you moms, you know what it is to just be tired if I have to get up one more time and stop them from fighting. If I have to one more time separate them, if I have to one more time clean another blanket, find another binky, wash another load, on and on and on, there is fatigue that's out there. And that fatigue can become this burden, and it almost takes on this sense of identity of, like, who are you? Oh, I'm just tired. I'm just, I am worn out and I'm tired. And, and it can take and rob some of the joy out of the process. One of the things that Mother's Day does that's great is it says, oh my gosh, it's great to be a mom. And like for a little bit of time, it's great to be a mom. And then at some point, the, the other shoe drops, is like, I gotta go back to being a mom. 
Here's another trap that can just suck the joy out of a mom's existence, and it's the trap of fear. Because you're always just thinking about what's ahead. And you understand, as we all do, that part of the way that God moves us forward towards his calling is to move us through things that are trying and that are difficult and that are hard. And we, moms, you just worry about, are your kids going to be okay? In the, in the Old Testament, there's the story, uh, it's in the book of Ruth, right? But Naomi is the one who, she's married and she has two sons, but there's a famine in the land, so they leave to Moab. And so over in this foreign country, her husband, her husband dies, her sons marry, but then the sons die. And she's coming back then to her original home. And they greet her and they say, oh, Naomi, is it you? She's like, man, I've had a tough run. I lost my husband, I lost... My sons, there's nothing for me here. Naomi, the word, the name means kind of pleasant. And she says, don't call me pleasant. My life is bitter because I've got no one to care for me. And as I look from where I am in this moment towards a future that I can predict, there's nothing good there. The great part of <laughs> good news, the story doesn't end there. Better things happen. But she has that moment, right, of looking ahead and going, there's nothing, I, all I can see is the fear of what's going to be and how it's going to play out and how it might end and I'm going to be alone and I'm going to be empty and nobody around me. And, and moms, we can do that with our kids where you go, like, there's this moment right here and when I project the trajectory of how things are going, I don't like what I see and they can, we can lose sleep, right? We can lose energy, we can lose hope and all of those things as well. Fatigue and fear and failure is that third trap that just robs the joy. And you have to understand me when I say, when I say failure, I don't mean actual failure. Very few of you moms are out there actually failing. But a lot of moms think they're failing when they're not. You feel like you're failing when you're not. I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. When Jesus was 12, they took the annual trek into the uh, Passover in Jerusalem, and she lost her son on the way home. How do you think she felt as a mom three days on the, into the return journey where she goes, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> has, has anybody seen my child? Well, who's responsible for him? Well, I am, and I've lost the Son of God. <laughs> I, I just know that a mom's heart start uh, a mom's heart. Well, I'll say this: where a dad's heart might tend towards identifying all the other people that are responsible for this taking place, a mom's heart can tend to say, "Well, these are all the places where I've failed and I've not done a good job, and here's all the reasons why this is my fault." Again, this is not just about moms. I want to back backstep now to our role as a church. And our task, remember, cultivating an environment where people can grow spiritually from right where they are to where God wants them to be. That can be a lot of work to do that. And fatigue can burn us out. There can be a lot of fear associated. Well, what if I, what if I speak to my neighbor about God and they start speaking to me differently? What if I try to be this person that God's called me to be out there in the workplace and it doesn't go well? And then sometimes there's that sense of real or imagined, that sense of failure. Well, I, I, I tried to reach out, I tried to love, and I tried to serve, and it just, things didn't go well. These, these are the traps 
that suck the joy out of what it means to be accomplishing our purposes that way. So when we have this task, but there are these traps, what do we have left? What we have left is the truth. And we have to embrace that truth. Scripture gives us truth that sets us free from the traps we encounter. Now that's true on Mother's Day. That's true on Father's Day. That's true on Uncle and Aunt's Day. That's true all the time. That the enemy sets us traps. And what sets us free from those traps is Scripture and the words of Scripture itself. That's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free, right? So I'd like to spend kind of the the bulk of the rest of our time together looking at some specific scriptures that speak to those specific traps. So with regard to fatigue, with regard to what it is that the word of God might speak to us when we're feeling fatigue, Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Like, when I'm, when I'm tired and I want rest, my mind doesn't immediately go to, oh, hold on, put a yoke on you and start plowing the field. That just seems like work, Right? But, but Jesus' original audience, they would have understood exactly what he was saying. The yoke is that big wooden contraption that they put over the necks of the beasts of burden so that they could pull the plow behind him and go. And most often, you, you went kind of two at a time, a, a pair of oxen with one big wooden yoke over around their necks, and you would stand behind them, and they would do all the work. And what would happen if you had, a, if you had um, an unequal pair or a poor yoke, you'd have one ox pulling 80% of the weight and the other one kind of slacking and doing just the 20. And Jesus is speaking to a group of people who probably feel like they're, they're pulling the 80% load. They're doing all the heavy lifting. They're exhausted from what they're doing and life has come down on them and they're tired. They're tired of being oppressed politically there in Jerusalem. They're tired of being oppressed spiritually by the heavy-handed leadership of the spiritual of, of the culture there of the day. They're just tired by all of life that all that life has to throw at them. They're tired and they're worn down. And Jesus says, "Take my yoke. Re- replace the way you're doing it and step into a yoke with me. And you can be on one side and I'll be on the other side." And side by side, each one of us carrying exactly the amount of burden that we should, we're going to get through this thing. We're going to get this work done. We're going to figure this out. And you won't be exhausted. You won't be tired. You won't be worn out. You won't be unduly burdened because I am there right next to you, walking with you and working with you alongside. So just part of the prayer then is say in every moment and in every moment of exhaustion Lord I am so tired that's, a, that's an indicator to me that somehow I haven't found, the, I'm not correctly stepping into a yoke that has you side by side with me 
God, will you reveal to me those places where I'm just working harder because I feel like more work is required and I'm not stepping into the yoke right next to you and partnering with you in what's taking place. Uh, hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote this about kind of how God lifts us up out of fatigue. He says, don't you know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Oh, like you ever feel like, oh, I qualify for that. Let's go, strength and power. Even, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, sure. But those who hope in the Lord, they'll renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk, and they will not faint. Those who hope in the Lord will rise above the fatigue. They'll rise above the weariness. They'll rise above the burden, and they will just soar. And I love that image of what it is to be an eagle, just above the problems, above the exhaustion, above all the hurry and the relentlessness and the schedule and the everything, and just allowing the wind in the air to rustle up under the wings. Well, here we take a look at this. All the trouble down below all the burden down below. But in God's strength, as we hope on him, we just glide, not in our own strength, not with a ton of effort, by just a posture of openness and saying, Lord, my hope is in you. And all of a sudden, I don't even have to work or struggle to make my way. Isn't that glorious? Don't you want to just be raised up into that place of soaring strength like an eagle? I love that. Unfortunately, we have this tendency, and I'm not sure how it gets there, but we feel like just leaning into the strength of the Lord and soaring might actually be or just appear maybe lazy. And, and maybe the way to get out ahead of, the curve, uh, ahead of the curve on all the burden and all the things that have to happen and all the things that are wearing me down is maybe I just need to work harder and try more. And if I just work harder, I can get there. If I just put more energy into it, I can get there. If I just try and try and try and faster and more. Well, it's actually, that was an eagle. There's a reason that the Lord used the image of an eagle and not a swan. Because while we want to be the eagle... We probably are a little more like this one. Looking good so far. Try, 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 hurry, hurry, go, go, try, try. I got this, I got this, I can make it, I can do it. Nope, I'm exhausted. Those who hope in the Lord. How do you avoid all of that and slapping and stuff? How do you avoid that? We say, Lord, my hope is in you. I wait upon you. I place my hope and my trust and just rely on you. And that's the place where God empowers us to soar.
Okay, the other tra- one of the other traps we talked about was fear, right? Just fear about what's going to happen, fear about what's ahead, right? This is what the psalmist wrote, David, I think, in, uh, in Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. The ancient Hebrew word for that is COVID. (laughs) He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings. You will find refuge. His His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. What will be your shield and your rampart? Your effort? Your trying? Your perfection? Your goodness? Your following the rules? No, your shield... And your rampart will be his faithfulness. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. That's God's word, that's God's truth that encounters the, the trap of fear. That's a passage to turn to when you're worried. It's a passage to turn to when, it don't, when you don't seem to like the way that things are beginning to turn out. My guess is this, that your family is a lot like my family. In that, we have some people in our family who, I got to be honest, when I look at the way that they live their life and how things go for them, they don't need one moment of my prayer. They're doing great. Their life is blessed. It's all good. They seem to be doing great. And there are other people in my family that we have been praying for for 50 years and just waiting. And some of that time during those 50 years, the things that we were praying about gave us every good cause for fear in the natural But I just just want to say as a word of testimony that faithful prayers, and I believe personally faithful prayers, especially by moms and grandmas, produce something. And so we've got folks that we pray desperate prayers prayers for for decades and decades and decades that are doing great right now. Praise God for that. We've got people in the family that we've been praying for for decades and decades They're not there yet, but you know what? We trust that God's at work, and we can go back to that Psalm 91 that says that thing that you fear, it's not going to happen because the faithfulness of God is our shield. The faithfulness of God is our rampart. It's his faithfulness that matters, not our own performance, not our own perfection, not how well we do. Okay, now this is the big one, I think, especially for moms, the trap of failure. Again, moms, uh, on Father's Day, I just got to say, on Father's Day, we kind of have to tell dads, come on, dads, you can do better than this. Moms, it's different. We tell moms, you're doing great. You're doing better than you think you are. Give yourself a break. So often the sense of failure that we have, right, is based on nothing other than comparison. Her kids always get to school on time. Her kids, both shoes always match. <laughs> her, kids, his, her kids say please and thank you, and 
I get notes to come visit the principal. <laughs> and the more time we spend looking at all the successes that we think we see out there on social media that may or may not be real and may or may not be true, the more time we spend thinking about all how everyone else looks so good and somehow I don't meet up, it can build this sense of failure that isn't really true. You, you want an instance of bad parenting? I can give you an instance of bad parenting. <laughs> when my daughter was a junior in high school, she was a cheerleader, the, the basketball team went to the state tournament, and while there, she had an accident cheerleading and wrecked her knee. Very disappointing, very painful, very difficult. The following season, as the team was going to the state tournament, during a practice, my daughter was one of the catchers, you know, where the, the, the little tiny girl gets thrown up and spun around and different stuff, and there's someone there to be there in case something goes wrong. My daughter was the in-case-something-goes-wrong person, and something went wrong, and in the falling and flailing, there was a forearm that went smack against her head, gave her a terrible concussion. And so I got the call from work from Rochelle saying, hey, we're headed to the ER for this really bad concussion that happened. And I was like, oh, no. And so I'm headed to the ER, and Rochelle's headed to the ER, and I don't advise this, but under the circumstances, we were texting. <laughs> and the text comes in and says, do you realize it was a year ago today that she wrecked her knee? And I texted back, completely unaware of the fact that Rochelle was using Kendra to do the phone. I think I'm talking directly to Rochelle but everything's coming through, Kendra. I text back, of course I remember that. I just finished paying for it last week. <laughs> That's quality parenting. <laughs> Until you can match that one, you are not a failure in my book. My daughter refused to come out of the car to go into the ER because she felt so bad because of me. Right? Yeah, that's, I think that's real failure that way. But I just want to say, moms, there is a... So we all have moments when we failed, either as grandly as that or maybe on a lesser scale. And the enemy of your soul, moms, would like you to believe that you are defined by your worst moments of parenting whatever they may be. Who are you as a person? Who are you as a follower of Jesus? Who are you as a mom? You are really just the worst version of you at the lowest moment of your parenting experience. And I just want to free you up from that and say, no, that is not so. You are not a failure. Scripture says that anyone is in Christ. They're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are new. God has done something in your heart and your soul. You are a beloved child of the King of Kings. And yes, you make mistakes, as do we all, because you know what? That's why there's grace, and we all get to experience it the same way. But um, I just want to invite you, whether you're a mom who struggles with a sense of failure sometimes, or whether you're just a human being that struggles with a sense of failure sometimes. 
that if there is any real failure, God's given us the platform to make that right. To confess our sins, according to 1 John 1, 9. Confess our sins to ask for forgiveness. And it says he'll cleanse us from unrighteousness. He'll, he'll restore us. He'll forgive us. He'll make us clean. And we can move on. In God's economy, failure is never final. Failure at whatever level might be real, but it is not final. Because we can turn to God and appeal to his mercy and appeal to his grace. Okay. So we have this task, right? Moms specifically, but also the church as a whole and us as believers, we have these tasks, but there are these traps that the enemy puts in front of us that we have to, we have to connect scripture and truth to and say, I'm going to choose to believe what scripture says is true about this situation, maybe not what my heart or my mind or my emotions are saying is true about this situation. So how do we do that? What are the, what are the kinds of action steps? What are the way, ways we can think about how we do what we do that help us to step into that and lean into that a little bit? Okay. And I'm going to give you three. The first one is this. And it's simply, seek, don't skim. Seek, don't skim. Here's what I mean by that. For whatever, I mentioned the eight-year-old who liked doing written Bible studies. I'm a weird person. Last year, weird adults decided, you know what book I've never read? Brothers Karamazov. I should do that. It's only about that thick. Let's go. And I got a lot, not very far through it, and I just realized I'm never going to finish this unless I start just kind of skimming through. So I just started, and I know. So I'm I now I know a little bit about the brothers Karamazov, but how much did that book? How much of its um, depth? How much of its power? How much of its meaning and its message? How much of that did I walk away with? Almost none. All I can say is my eyes have looked at every page in that book at some point along the way. And that's all that I got out of that. Now, give me a book about my favorite sports team. And I'm just word by word, sentence by sentence, living the glories and living the moments and the battles and the, and the competition. And I'm all in and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not skimming I'm in there just seeking and looking and loving, right? If we want the word of God, the truth of God's word to be there for us to counter the snares and the traps of the enemy, it's going to come when we find our way into really, really seeking and not just skimming through. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? I'm sure none of us have ever just kind of skimmed through the scriptures really quick because I have to check this one off the list today. But I suspect that those of us that have done that have realized we did not walk away with all of the power of that passage that God had intended, right? Okay, enough with that. So we can seek, not skim. Second, we want to soak, not sprinkle. For Mother's Day lunch today, we are having an incredible cedar plank salmon grilled, and the salmon is going to be marinated in this olive oil, brown sugar, soy, garlic, lemon thing. And I know, right? Let's, let's go, Kilpatrick. Let's get a move on here. But here's, the, but here's how that works. All those flavors, if I just put them in a little, if I put the, that in a spritz bottle and went, tss, 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 how much flavor am I going to get out of that? 
almost none. The flavor happens. The yummy goodness happens. The magic happens as that salmon just sits in there and soaks in that and absorbs and, and the flavors just coagulate around it and, and slide into it and it become, the flavors become one with the flesh itself and it's amazing. <laughs> Where God's word is concerned, we can take the sprinkle approach. Hey, I need some God's word for truth so I can fight the snares of the enemy. not going to hurt you, but it's not going to help much. But if we find those places, right, to just soak, just to kick back and allow God's word to wash over so that it just, it wraps itself around us and it works its way into us and it becomes, we kind of come one with the truth that are part of God's word and then it becomes an inescapable part of us. We are literally flavored by the truth of God's word and it becomes a part of who we are. There's power there. There is real power there. So when it comes to encountering God's word, we're going to soak, right? We're not going to sprinkle. And then thirdly, and this is important, speak, don't be silent. When you read a passage out of God's word and you go, I needed that. I was, I was, feeling, I was feeling endangered. And I read this passage out of the psalm and it says, God's going to be there for me and his faithfulness is going to be my shield. I need that. Do that. Hear that. But don't, don't zip the lip. Don't stop the tongue. You go find somebody. You go find anyone and say, here's what God spoke to me today in the word. I'd like to share with you what God's doing in me. I'd like to talk to you about the truth that God has invested in me that's going to help me through today, and maybe it can help you too. It's very, very rare in God's economy that he's doing something in me that's not intended to help somebody else. I'm very rarely the end game of God's activity when he's giving me a word of truth in the scripture, when he's speaking something to my heart, when he's meeting with me, yes, it's in part for me, but there's part of God's plan, which is I gotta start talking about that and sharing that and encouraging others with that because that's part of the plan as well. We're gonna speak and we are not going to be silent. I'm gonna close in a prayer here for all of us, moms especially, but for all of us. And then um, when we're done, we're going to spend a little time where it really, really matters. All of the truth of God's word that we share focuses down to the moment where Christ was on the cross giving himself for us. And in order to do any of the things we've been talking about today, we have to be in that point where we say, That thing that Christ did on the cross, that was for me. And I want to remember it. I want to affirm it. And I want to participate in it by receiving the elements of communion. So uh, there are elements in the seat pocket uh, down just on the seat back in front of you. Those will be available. uh, But let me pray just as we lead into that time. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your truth. Your truth that turns the table on those traps, the the snares that the enemy has, the, the ones that want to rob our joy. God, your truth counters that and allows us to walk in the reality that you have in mind. So God, as we share this moment, 
this moment in your presence, this moment on the centrality of Christ on the cross, this moment of remembering what you did, our prayer is this. God, would you take the truth of your word, knit it deep into the fabric of our being, and help us live lives that please you as those who are moving towards the destiny and purpose that you have, but also as those who are cultivating the environments where those around us can move in the same direction as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.